You are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hey, this is Steve Harper, creator of Send Me, an original web series, and you're listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. I'm Gugu Mbatha-Rua, and you are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hi, I'm Sigata Day. I'm playing Sarah on Insecure, and you're listening to Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Uh, my name is Tanahasi Coates. I write for The Atlantic, and I am the writer on uh, Black Panther right now, and you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Idris Elba, and you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hi, my name is Natalie McGriff, creator of the Adventures of Moxie McGriff comics, and you're listening to Black Girl Nerds Podcast. episode 146 of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Jamie and I am your host. This episode is titled Whitney, Iron Fist, and Cloak and Dagger. Three fantastic segments. In our first segment, Cheryl Collins does a sit-down interview, a very provocative interview I must add, with Pat Houston and also both sister-in-law and manager to the late Whitney Houston. They talk about the documentary film, Whitney, which is currently in theaters. In our second and third segments, we head on over to San Diego Comic-Con. Catalina Combs has a fantastic interview featuring the cast and crew of the Marvel TV shows, Iron Fist and Cloak and Dagger. Both of those last two segments are roundtable interviews, which also feature interview questions from other journalists. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode 146, Whitney, Iron Fist, and Marvel's Cloak and Dagger. Whitney is a 2018 documentary film about the singer Whitney Houston, written and directed by Kevin McDonald and produced by Pat Houston. It was screened out of competition at the 2018 Cannes Film Festival and was released on July 6. The following is an interview featuring Pat Houston. What I wanted to talk to you about, which I was overwhelmed with, Miss Houston, was 
just how y'all, how honest you guys were with this piece. I was overwhelmed. Can't anybody, in my opinion, go and make any kind of movie after this. They can't do it. You laid it out as far as I'm concerned. Warts and all. Family, loving family. And you all laid it all out, warts and all. And I was just really in awe of that. Um, what did you, um, what led to us saying, okay, here's what we're gonna do and we're going to just put it all out there? Because I don't see anybody coming after this. You know what? When you give a person a key to the vault, mm -hmm. you know, you expect them to look in it. Mm -hmm. And that was our expectations or mine mm -hmm. whenever we chose Kevin McDonald for the, the, the piece. Mm -hmm. And um, I knew that he was going to be interviewing all the people that he was interviewing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for... For 30 years, for over 30 years, you know, the family has had to endure so much. And they have had to um, live their life, not just her, but they had to live their life under a microscope as well. Mm -hmm. You know, and seemingly even after her passing. And it's just, it's too much, you know. And it's like there's there needs to be closure. You can't, you know, all of their life they've been looked at, you know. That's Whitney Houston's mother, mm -hmm. Cece. That's mm -hmm. Whitney's brother. Right. You know, that's... Whitney's brother, Gary, you know, these people have their own identities in their own life that they mm -hmm. try to lead and live. And it's very difficult to do that when people, you know, if, if they don't recognize them, they think they recognize them. And when they do, it's an automatic, you know, a pity or anger at the family. And we somehow are always being victimized, you know, by the choices that she made, mm -hmm. which isn't fair, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, we just decided you know, it was very therapeutic for Gary yes. and Michael, and mm -hmm. I was I was very happy mm -hmm. that they were able to open up and, and talk because they had been under such pain, mm -hmm. you know, for mm -hmm. all these many years, yeah. you know, and having to share their sister with the world, you know, hardly any, they tried to have normal lives, I mean, being married, having children, children going off to college and but then still having to deal with the fact that their last name is Houston. Your last name is Houston. Yes. yes, yes. I was like, that has to be in some way a bit of a burden, you know? You know what? I There have been times it's like, and I'm, I, I come from a very strong lineage of strong women and men, mm -hmm. you know, coming from North Carolina and was women was reared in church, but not just reared, but just taught about, Christ, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, you know, you, you learned a lot of, a, a lot of things. I always tell people, my mother taught us about God in the church and my father taught us about the world, which right. gave us great balance. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think God was preparing me, you know, mm -hmm. for, to, to mm -hmm. be in this situation. Cause I've been with my husband for 26 years. We've wow. been married for 24. Wow. So to have to go through all of this, you know, I've always just depended on God, you know, and I've, I always tell people, you know, I'll always have a job because he's my CEO. Speak. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Chief executive officer, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. and I will adhere to whatever his plans are. Mm -hmm. So I've always felt that I, I came into this situation to help ease the pain that life had brought to her. You have been a wonderful steward. You really have, because I think some of the other people are so close or so involved and you have intimacy and yet you have some distance and I think that's worked beautifully for mm -hmm. you as an executive producer of this project. Mm -hmm.
I, I was touched by um, small moments in the movie where I learned little things. One of the things I learned was just how generous she was. I mean, I'm famous, y'all all coming. Everybody came along mm -hmm. on the uh, to the party, the brothers, the dad, everybody. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was one of the things that I really noticed about her. I said, what a big heart she had. She didn't say, it's all about me and everybody else, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but one of the other uh, things that I noticed was uh, there was a small moment where you guys talked about Michael Jackson and how they could just sit in the room and be alone mm -hmm. and not speak because they both knew mm -hmm. what the other was going through. Absolutely. I thought that was so powerful, you know. Yeah, she um, she loved him. Mm -hmm. You know, she even in her last tour, she dedicated a song for you and she used an image on stage, his image on stage, uh, in the second portion of her show, and um, she became would become very emotional, you know, mm -hmm. she, just having memories of, of people calling him um, uh, Wacko Jacko, right? You know, and she related to that very much so because she had this thing about people judging her, mm -hmm. you know, and um, that's one of the subjects that she and I talked about just days before she passed, you know, and uh, why do people judge me? You know, and I, I was telling my husband, um, I said, I've never felt my adrenaline, you know, start to flow. Mm -hmm. I, when I was a basketball player, I did. That was mm -hmm. the only other time when mm -hmm. the adrenaline was really, but that particular day, you know, the adrenaline was flowing because I needed the right words to say to her because right. I knew she was hanging on. By a thread. Mm -hmm. And um, it was about judging. So mm -hmm. she, she understood him because the same, she could relate because some of the same things were emotional things were happening to her as well. Right. Another one of the small moments in the movie was uh, when she was singing for the Super Bowl and they prepared that song for her and sent it to her and mm -hmm. two weeks ahead and she never listened to it. Mm -hmm. Listened to it one time. See, Kevin said he doesn't know what the secret sauce is. I said, I think the secret sauce is she always gave from everything she had. She did. Mm -hmm. She was extremely simple, mm -hmm. you know, non-materialistic. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll tell anyone, I said, she gave a lot of people a platform. Right. She had her own platform. Mm -hmm. And it seemed like everybody else wanted that same platform, and all they had to do was just take what was given, mm -hmm. you know. But she did. She had a very, very given heart, very mm -hmm. giving. She, um... The movie showed that she was very dual in her upbringing. She was very hood, very ghetto, and yet she was also very, um, they, they had the house in the suburbs, and she went to cat, private Catholic school. So I was really touched by that. She knew how to get down if she had to get down, and yet, she had this, at first I thought it was a packaging by Clive, you know, mm -hmm. but she had this very articulate, sweet, you know, presentation to herself. But if she had to go, if she had to go, she could go. And her brothers could definitely go from what I heard in the movie. You know, same, mm -hmm. same, same kind of story. Her mm -hmm. story mirrors a lot of young girls' stories. Of course. Stories. Mm -hmm. She had a mother that was in church, mm -hmm. you know, and, and a mm -hmm. father that was out there in the streets. And yes. In the streets in the world. So that That's balance right. was there. There you go. You know, and mm -hmm. being raised with um, 
two older brothers, you know, and mm-hmm. having the type of street father that you had. And he mm-hmm. was extremely articulate. But her grandparents, mm-hmm. you know, were educators. Mm-hmm. You know, Mr. Houston's uh, mm-hmm. uh, pianist, you know, Elizabeth Collins. Uh-huh. You know, she was a pianist. So, you know, she, it was, it was, I, 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 don't, I don't know what to that, say. That double that we all have, like you said, yeah. your, your mother taught you about God, your mm-hmm. dad taught you about the street. And, uh, but she wasn't packaged. That's who she really was. That's who she was. Coming through the movie, and and I know you have other people to see, but I I was very, it it began to become clear to me the hurts in her life that led to the drug abuse and the death that she had. Um, The divorce was first to me. Because uh, that is so painful. And then we learned so late in the movie that she was molested by a very dear member of the family. And that that just breaks a child's soul wide open. And you can see how drugs will come in there to take up that pain in your soul. Mm-hmm. You're not supposed to be have sex in your life when you're a child. And so I saw... That, and I saw her dad suing her, breaking her absolute heart because she was just such a daddy's girl. And um, so I saw these things, that this little string of things through the movie that just were, I guess, the door openers for any kind of easing of pain. You know, um, me, I, I cry it out, but I know a lot of people that have to, my sister, she just died of a drug overdose. Mm. So, you know, we had a very painful upbringing. And I, so I understand that you can choose things just to ease the pain. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and these things kept coming up. When your father publicly in front of the whole world sues you for $100 million, and that's your father? That was just heartbreaking to me. You know, she... Um... She loved her dad, both parents. She loved mm-hmm. her, loved her mother, mm-hmm. and um, that was probably one of the hardest things that hit her mm-hmm. was the, the the lawsuit from her dad. Not so much as anything else, but right. that particular thing, right? Um, because, like I said, that was that was dad, but she still held on to her strength. I think yeah. Whitney's, um, you know, when you start out using drugs recreationally mm-hmm. and that's what happened to mm-hmm. them in that area mm-hmm. we used to have conversation a lot because i was from the south and she was from the north mm-hmm. you know we grew up i grew up with four older brothers ray watson is my brother who's oh. a personal bodyguard mm-hmm. we we had this thing where this side in the south they didn't use drugs but mm-hmm. here you know they did mm-hmm. and everyone did and, and when i met gary and came into the family some of the people folk that i met you know, they talk about the stories of drugs, but it was just, it was recreational. Mm-hmm. You never think it's going to end up being a lifestyle. Right. Once that thing becomes a lifestyle, it becomes who you are, you like what you do, and that's it. Mm-hmm. You like it. I think the divorce, you know, Sissy and John divorced, but they never divorced their kids. No. And, they, the and they, in the movie, they talked about how they showed up. 
together they at showed, everything. They showed mm-hmm. up together. And it's like, when, as, I'm, as I'm watching the edits, I'm looking at it, and, you know, they make the statements are, you know, people didn't even know that they were divorced. Well, it was none of anyone's business to right. know that they were divorced, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. They were there to support their, their children, do- their mm-hmm. children. Mm-hmm. and they did that very well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just all the other opportunities that were out there That's right. that may have caused, the, tried to cause the friction. I call it divide and conquer because I saw it all. You know, I was just seeing it all. My my first impression was like, wow. It wasn't even about the family. It was about everybody else around the family because mm-hmm. everybody wanted to be the, her mom or or get the mom out of the way, you know, so I can step up or the dad the same thing so mm-hmm. I can step up. But it was, um, that was one of her main problems. And when she did become sober and realize all of that, Wow. She was like, wow. Did her and Robin ever mend their relationship at the end? No. No. Once she was fired, that was it. That Mm -hmm. was it. That's a a sad outcome as well because I felt like Robin was a a barrier between a lot of the wolves and her. Well, that part was not so true. It wasn't? Okay. Because the movie does kind of say after she left, everything went down. Well, no, she was there when mm-hmm. when all the drugs and everything mm-hmm. was, was going on. And mm-hmm. I can honestly say, you know, I don't know of a person prior to Atlanta, Georgia, that got her into rehab. Mm-hmm. So they were all there and they all could have done that. Mm-hmm. But they didn't, mm-hmm. including Robin. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I, the whole thing about going to Atlanta was to get away from you guys, wasn't it? To, no, I was in Atlanta with her. Were you in Atlanta mm-hmm. too? Oh, okay. I, I went to... Mm-hmm. We went together, mm-hmm. you know, I w- we went together. Was she trying to get away from her mother? No, she no. wasn't trying to get away from her mother. She just wanted her independence, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. You know, she when Whitney got married, you know, she's a, she's a superstar, you know. She's I remember a, Ebony. I uh, remember Ebony when she got married. <laughs> she, she's an, she's an mm-hmm. only girl. Mm-hmm. I, I can I can say these things because mm-hmm. we had the conversations mm-hmm. because I was an, I'm an only girl too. Oh, and mm-hmm. the pressures from family that mm-hmm. comes, you know, they always want to look over you and watch over you. Mm-hmm. She wanted to just live Be her independent. life. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm making sure you're okay. Mm-hmm. Let me let me do what I need to do mm-hmm. with my family. Okay. You know, one me- last, one last. Okay. It, the double heartbreak, and it had to be for you, was Bobby Christina. You're dealing with, with uh, still healing from Whitney, and then, and then she, it seemed like she died in such a similar way. I mean, she died in the hospital, but she, you know, went into the coma in a very similar way. How, how did you survive that? There's not a day that goes by that mm-hmm. um, I don't think about her. Um, she was like my little girl. Um, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And you know the world isn't fair. People just are cruel. Are cruel. You know, as much as they tried to divide. Chrissy and I, it just wasn't happening. She would always come at Auntie Pat, Mm -hmm. you know, they're saying this and I would always calm her. Mm -hmm. It's quite all right. Mm -hmm. Just giving her peace, showing Mm -hmm. her love, Mm -hmm. and just trying to be an auntie, Mm -hmm. you know, to to help her. Mm -hmm. You know, and I was there. I was there. 
never abandoned right. neither one of them. Right. Even when they had nothing. So you have no regrets. You no. have the pain, I'm sure, but I no have, regrets. I have the pain, but mm -hmm. no, no regrets. That's good. I, I, she's at peace. Yeah. And so is her mother. Yes. You know, mm -hmm. they don't, they don't have to deal mm -hmm. with any of this anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, they're where they're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm, I'm grateful and thankful. That we that had her for as long as we did. For as, mm -hmm. as long as we did. Mm -hmm. But it, mm -hmm. it, it kills me. To know that that baby died at 22 years old. Yeah, it with does. With everything that she had to yeah. endure. Right. You know, but no regrets. Mm -hmm. You know, That's I good. was, I was on her deathbed. Mm -hmm. You know, I was lying right there next to her. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Praying, and her cousin reading mm -hmm. the 23rd Psalm. That's right. 23rd Psalm, and um, she left out of here in peace. Mm -hmm. No ruckus around her. The people that was in that room with her when she took her last breath right. were the people that her mother would have wanted to be That's in that right. room. That's right. And that it was very, very peaceful. Okay. And Chrissy would have wanted it that way. Yeah. Thank you. I'm sorry I got so emotional just yeah, listening I'm, to I'm, you. I'm, I'm, <laughs> sorry. I'm doing everything I can. To yes, you're doing it. You look beautiful, <laughs> and I'm sorry I did. if I did anything to try to hurt your makeup. <laughs> but thank you so much for your time, and thank you for this. I've never seen anything like this. I'm really, it's really powerful, and I've never seen anything so raw and honest, and like I said, it, 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 it hit me. And, She's, um... She's happy for it. I'm pretty sure she's smiling. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> and it's a pleasure to meet you. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. Mm -hmm. In our next segment, we head on over to San Diego Comic-Con. During a press roundtable segment with the cast and crew of Marvel's Iron Fist. In this segment, it features actor Finn Jones, who plays Danny Rand, aka Iron Fist, as well as new TV showrunner Raven Metzner. And at the tail end of this segment, we get one question in from actress Jessica Henwick, who plays Colleen Wing. Stay tuned for the next segment that features more actors and crew from Iron Fist. How's your morning been so far? Good, how about you? Very good. Finn, nice to meet you. What's your name? Eric. Eric, nice to meet you. Catalina. Catalina, nice to meet you. Al. Al, nice, nice to meet you. Chris. Chris, nice to meet you. Wilson, how are you? I feel like we've, we've spoken before, yes. right? Yeah. Last last year. Joe. Joe, nice to meet you. Megan. Megan, nice to meet you. This is Raven. Raven. I'm going to wave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey. It takes... <laughs> I dig your Nightwing t-shirt. That's my that's my favorite. Bloodhaven. Oh, sorry. Marvel panel. You need me now. We're in trouble now. Oops. Oops. We're going to have Jessica join as well. Is she coming right now? Should we wait or? We'll grab her real quick. We'll grab her. All right. We'll just we'll just chit chat. When did you guys get down to the uh, the con? Have you guys been here for a while or Wednesday? Wednesday. Nice. The, the very late hours. <laughs> Great. I think I got here on the Tuesday. It's kind of nice coming in because you get to see like the, the, the place still build up and it's relatively quiet. You walk around and not feel too like, ah, 
Comic Con. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Are you coming from filming or? Uh, no, we actually finished about two months ago. Yeah, we finished two months ago. Um, I'm still in New York. I live there now. And then um, I just went to LA for a little bit to see some friends. And then I drove down, uh, took the drive. I was hoping it was going to be more scenic, but it wasn't. But the, tra- the train is super scenic. I heard the yeah. train is scenic. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. My favorite place to write, one of my favorite places oh, to write is. is on that ride. It's like three hours, uninterrupted. The beautiful, beautiful scenery. And it goes along the You the, just write the ocean. action. Pretty much the <laughs> Beautiful ocean, and you're like, punch, Dude, we have to have a train. Oh, wait. Oh, cool. I was going to say we have to have a train fight we and then should. I stop myself we because... Should. We should, we should have a train fight. Maybe we already have one of those. We should, we should. We <laughs> but I mean like a proper train fight, like on the, on the ceiling, oh, yeah. like yeah. On, the, on the roof, yeah. going down style. the Pacific Highway. <laughs> yeah, old school style. Well, we should just take the train back together and we'll fight on it. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. Let's but not do on it. the roof though, right? I don't want you guys falling. No. Oh, we'll be fine. We're good. We can get rigged up. We have a stunt coordinator who'll make sure, we'll make sure Clayton's with us. Yeah, he's good. He's safe. anything gets really crazy, like... We'll just sit stretching there. Yeah, you guys are bringing a big train crew with you now. This <laughs> right, we need to up our game. We're, Get a whole. Just raising our expectations right? for three. So. I know. It's, it's gonna, I was thinking about. Train? I was thinking about that last night. I was like, "Ooh, how are we going to top it?" Oh no! <laughs> I used every, how are you gonna every top idea it? I had. What like, the my idea. I know it's a big, the big Comic Con, so you guys can start. Cool. And just okay. Come right okay. Cool. In. Great. I had talked to Chael Coker. I come from this uh, from a slightly different place. I mean, I, I know I, I was not around for season one. Okay. Uh, I uh, I am new to the Marvel family, uh, and I come from a, a sort of a nerd centric world where I've read a whole lot of comic books and. And, and I love the character. So uh, what I got really excited about uh, was the opportunity when I sat down with um, uh, with Marvel for the first time and sort of you know heard that there's this job was available was uh, to tell an Iron Fist story that I wanted to tell. You know, and of course we leapt off from the and also look in between season one there's been the Defenders right and then also now this Luke Cage, Cage. Two, Luke Cage. So I. I had the opportunity to sort of tell the story I always wanted to tell, that. and and yeah, we leapt off from the place where that where where Defenders ended, but yeah, yeah. So it was really, it's really it was a chance for me to do something I wanted to do since I was 12 years old. It's an evolution. It's still an evolution. It's an evolution. It's an evolution from from season one. But yeah, so I, I, I just feel like came we're very forward-thinking guys. We're very, you know, we see with a task in hand and we just commit to it. You know, right. it's like. Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, all I wanted to do, all my head, where my head was at, was I just wanted to come into season two with 110% of my energy and just give the best version of Danny Rand to the show that I possibly could. And that's all, like, my mind was just on the prize, and that was the only thing that I was racing towards. And luckily, Raven came on board, the same kind of ethos. We were surrounded by a great group of people this season that had the same, the same... uh, the same ethos in their head as well, yeah. and, and it was a. I felt like it was a really productive and a really fun season two. Yeah, and also we had, it's, we were talking about this the past couple of days, but there's also like a little bit of a kismet to it. 
Um, we actually met at Comic-Con. Oh, yeah, yeah, tell the story. We met, we met at- <laughs> no, 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 this is amazing. So this awesome. time last year, yeah, we're, we're, uh, we was at like, what party was it? Was it? it was Nerd HQ, right? Yeah. We didn't HQ. know each other. We, we never, didn't know we each other. We talked on the phone. We never met. And I was there by myself. Right. And I see this kid who's playing Mortal Kombat on like the, the, the one of the games. Yeah, they had old school arcade games. Yeah, old school. And I was like, oh, man, let's, I'm going to go play Mortal Kombat. I love Mortal Kombat. So I start playing Mortal Kombat with this kid. This kid annihilates me, like absolutely <laughs> annihilates me. And I'm just like, all oh, right, okay, well, you know. So then, so then my... my turns out this kid is my son right? <laughs> so my son comes over and he's like oh this is playing Mortal Kombat with this dude I just totally annihilated him but he was really cool so much fun oh this party's awesome and then I look over and I'm like oh look that's Finn Jones I'm we haven't myself. met yet we haven't yet. Met. so I come over I'm like Hey Finn, I'm Raven. This is my son Orion. They're both like, oh, we were just playing each other in Mortal Kombat. <laughs> so we started in in kung fu in, in a weird way, <laughs> yeah. and we started with a familial connection. And we were at this, and we and we just ended up that night. We we, we just chatted. We just chatted. We, we just spent went two hours just talking and talking. Yeah. And then we ended up walking down the streets of of uh, San, San Diego, Diego, as I'm sure you guys will do, uh, when it's sort of closing down and quieting down, and we looked up and there was a big giant banner of the Defenders, but <laughs> Finn up there, and I was like, whoa, yeah. imagine if next year there's like uh, Iron Fist yeah. season two banner up there, wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah. And then we were like, yeah, we're gonna have to work really hard, and, we, and that was sort of the moment where we were like, we're gonna, we're just gonna do this. And it just felt right. Felt you know right. when like things just come together, and it's like, Oh, yeah. it was like one of those moments, and it was it was super exciting. And, and ever since then, it's just been yeah. And then along the way, fun. it's like it's along the way. We just the collaboration has just been it's been it's been a collaboration Finn and with Jessica yeah. and with, with Simone and, and Alice, like as, and all the directors that we brought this year yep. and the new writers yep. that we brought. It's just been a really a really really positive positive powerful experience. Yeah. Now after Defenders and uh, being in uh, Luke Cage season two, um, how do you think Danny sees himself in the well, Danny, at the end of Defenders, uh, the last thing Matt said to him before he was that he wanted Danny to uh, protect his city. And as we see in the, uh, the episode of Luke Cage, you know, he's protecting downtown and Luke is protecting uptown. So when we see Danny, first of all, in season two, he is taking that responsibility very seriously. He's on the streets, being the vigilante, protecting the streets of downtown New York. Uh, whilst also he has just moved in with Colleen, his girlfriend. So he's kind of at that age, and I'm sure maybe some of you know the experience, you know, when you're just hitting your, like, early 20s and you've just got this new job and you're, you're moving in with your girlfriend for this first time and everything's just kind of finally finding its balance. But with that becomes new kind of... Um, challenges. Challenges, yeah, right, absolutely. challenges. And I think it's totally relatable. Danny's in a very relatable place for a lot of audience members because of, because of that trying to balance those things. Are we going to get the Heroes for Hire storyline in this upcoming season? Um, well, uh, Mike isn't, unfortunately, in season two. I wish he was. Like, I, I love working with Mike. Um, I hope to see more Heroes for Hire in the future. I think it's a great pairing. I think Heroes for Hire with Daughters of the Dragon is just, like, gold. Um, so hopefully that will happen later on down the line. But uh, right now we're just focusing on a, a, a true Iron Fist story. Um, yeah, but, that's, that's but also like having Simone with us and having Missy Knight with us, it keeps the shows uh, it, like the rest of the sort of you know, all of the shows in the Marvel Cinematic Universe on Netflix is like they're all interconnected, right? And so having Simone, you, you it, it, it keeps the I don't know yeah it that, keeps that, it keeps that alive. Yeah. You know? yeah. So we you know there's there's moments I think you guys will see where we refer to. Stuff that's going on in other yep. shows, and it yep. feels it's, it's all we're, you know, we're, we're firmly in the timeline and in the universe, yep. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
that we saw uh, yesterday, seeing that it was more action oriented. So would this season be more action oriented than it was everybody involved between Danny and Colleen? Well, there's, there's a, there's a, I'd say we also evolved the action. So I think that the, the, and we brought this amazing stunt coordinator, Clayton Barber, and also all of our cast really, I mean, look, they just went for it. And he, he, they really pushed themselves. Finn really went to a place where he had months of, of lead time yep. for the season to really, really hone his skills, and not just in uh, in fighting, but also in, in stunt work. And it was it was a really powerful experience. So there is, I think, the action has evolved. But I think it's not just that. Like the character stories as well. We dug deeper into characters and deeper into relationships. And I'm really, really proud of the dramatic side of the show as well. And I think everyone's going to be excited about it. That's the really fun thing about these shows on Netflix is that, and also the Marvel universe in general, is like there's the there's the, the action and there's the, the superhero element. There's also these really rich, grounded characters. So, I mean, I... Yeah, you know. and it's like what you said before. Like, every there's in every fight this season, they all have a reason. They have an emotional standpoint. They're driving the story forward. Right. There's no fights just for the sake of, hey, let's get these two people together and fight. Like, it's all about driving the narrative and driving the characterization, which, for an actor, is great, because not only are you doing these awesome fight scenes, but you're also telling the story at the same okay. time. Hey, Hello. welcome Hello. to the fray. Now, one of the things that stood out to me at the panel was that one of the clips took place in Kunlun, yes. which we didn't really get to see very much of in yes. season one. So can you talk a little bit about why it was so important to bring Kunlun in and, and how, how we see Danny in the past? That scene looked gorgeous, by the way. It was the first time I saw it yesterday, and seeing it on that screen and just like with all the sound effects and everything, like hats off to everyone involved because it was... it. I was blown away by it. Yeah, and I think also it, um, it it just goes back to what we were talking about before, like grounding character stories in, in relatable emotion. Like if you're going to tell a story about uh, Danny and about Davos, then in the present day, uh, to me, you want to balance that with what their relationship was in the past. In order to do that, you got to go to come on. And I think that um, the way we chose to do it, I think, is, is different than in season one um, and, uh, and, and really kind of exciting, you know? It really sets up for a lot of the story going forward as well, with yeah. me and Davos. To like go back there and see Kunlun, it really makes you understand where the characters are coming from this season. And I think it really, yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. Were there any uh, tonal or stylistic changes you were going for compared to season one? <coughs> uh, I think, again, I, I don't like to compare things. I mean, I think that season two, we took a holistic approach to creating uh, a season of television in which, you know, it had a real feel. We, we really wanted it to feel... Um, to be on the streets of New York, to be so in that way, the world of the show is different, and that's a, a that's a big sea change, comparatively, because it, we don't we're not in the Rand Corporation, we're in we're out on the streets of New York, and so um, and we brought uh, a really talented DP, uh, Niels so Alpers, fantastic, um, who and again we all it's all about the the that's the cool thing about this medium it's about collaboration, so it's all about the the through line through so. Our DP learned a lot about action from our stunt coordinator and vice versa and working with the actors and, 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 and their relationship with those uh, department heads. So I think it's a, it, it feels like a whole and it's, a, and it's interesting and, and new. Can we get one question for Jessica? Question. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Um, uh, Colleen's character kind of started off the show in one specific way and then had her whole world turned upside down. She had to basically kind of regain like, her, a piece of herself. You see a lot of that transition actually in Luke Cage as she's trying to help Misty Knight regain her footing. 
are we going to see Colleen's character in the new season kind of being like going still going through that, or is she going to become stronger with it? No, she's definitely still going through it. Um, I don't think she knows what she wants, and she's kind of floundering. Um, and then, in the same way that she goes and she's able to help Misty, Misty comes and is able to help her. You can ask one more. Go on. Are going to get any more Misty? <laughs> that was awesome. That was cool, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Thank you very much. All right. Thank thanks you. a lot, guys. Nice to meet thanks you for your time. Enjoy the rest of the time. Yep. Thanks for tuning into that segment of Iron Fist. We have more interviews featuring the cast and crew of Iron Fist. But before we present those interviews, I wanted to go over a brief word from our sponsors. So you may have heard of this company before called HelloFresh, and it's a meal kit delivery service that has plans and step-by-step recipes of pre-measured ingredients that you can just eat, cook, and enjoy. This is great for people like me that don't do a whole lot of cooking, that don't like a whole lot of prep time, and it's just quick, easy, and convenient, and most importantly, it's fresh and healthy and nutritious. There's three plans you can choose from, classic, veggie, or family. So if you're someone that's a vegetarian, get the veggie plan. If you're someone with a big family with kids, go for the family plan. And there's also each week a 20-minute meal on the classic menu where if you don't have time to prepare, then it's for you. And let me tell you, I personally love these 20-minute meals and doing this at the convenience of my home without having to go out to order to eat or get some fast food restaurant where you don't really know who's prepping your food, first of all. And this stuff is really good, delicious, and like I said before, it's healthy. The one pot cheese tortellini was so delicious, I tried that. The one pot cheese tortellini, it comes with kale and grape tomatoes, and they also give you things like lemon that you could use as a garnish, or you can sprinkle some of that lemon juice into your meal to bring out the flavors in the food. So you probably have heard of HelloFresh and you probably have flirted with the idea of checking them out. Why don't you give them a shot? If you decide to do so with Black Girl Nerds, you're gonna get a discount code. So you'll get $30 off your first week of HelloFresh. Just visit hellofresh.com forward slash nerds30 and enter in the code NERDS30. That's it, all you have to do. $30 off your first week of HelloFresh, hellofresh.com forward slash NERDS30, enter the promo code NERDS30. Check it out, see if it's something that it's worth trying. You get $30 off your first week, so why not? And check out what HelloFresh is all about. They got some really good stuff, a lot of different choices for that customize all different folks. So one more time, it's $30 off your first week with HelloFresh. Go to hellofresh.com forward slash nerds30 and enter the promo code nerds30. Now, back to our segment, which features the cast and crew of Iron Fist, actress Simone Missick, who plays Misty Knight, Alice Eve, who plays Mary Walker, also known as Typhoid Mary, and executive producer Jeff Loeb. Enjoy. You know, she's fully invested in who she is now. There's um, something that happens that brings her downtown to check on Colleen and Danny, and that's where the journey starts. Um, and so you get to see Misty outside of Harlem, outside of Uptown, and um, it's a different jurisdiction, so it's a different set of problems. It's a different set of super powered people that she has to deal with and that's 
exciting. I mean, you know, it's all about the devil, you know. And I think in Harlem, you know, she's, she knows Luke, she knows Bushmaster, she knows Mariah, and these are um, people that she has to deal with on a certain level. And then she comes downtown, and it's a whole other set of, of issues. It's fun. You, it's Chinatown, Misty. It's Chinatown. Well, Chinatown is downtown. Yes, I understand. <laughs> How much? Uh, can you talk about Typhoid and, and for those who are not familiar with the series, what she's all about? You mean with the comic? Yes, and how different will it be from the series? How different will the comic be from what we see yes. in Iron Fist? Um, I actually think that they've done a really good... You know, Raven is... Um, had Typhoid Mary in the film he wrote, Electra, and has always been interested in the character and is certainly versed in the comics and educated me a lot and gave me the comics to read. And the essence of the comics is a uh, real visceral violence <clears throat> and violence as a response to trauma and violence as a response to communication. I think she'd rather be violent than say hello. And I think that that has translated really well over into the comics, into the series, because that's the essence of what Raven took. In terms of the origin story, um, maybe there are slight departures, but but the fury is there. <laughs> Jeff, you, you uh, famously own basically every Marvel comic right from the, from the beginning as a child. Uh, close. close. I, I, it, it's, uh, some of them go back to the beginning, but from 64 on, yeah. Um, so, you know, being a, a lifelong fan, collector, getting to finally... Adapt. Would you like to buy the collection? Because I, 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 I would absolutely <laughs> not like to. I cannot afford that. Uh, but, no, uh, but being able to like go through those long boxes and start picking up these books and saying, oh, well, now I've adapted that. I've made that to a TV show. What is that feeling like to kind of see these characters come to life? Uh, look, it's thrilling. Look, I, I'm the luckiest guy in the world, and I have the coolest job in the world. And, and I don't take it for granted any day of the week. Um, I, but it isn't just that it, it is working with the first of all the team that I work with is is extraordinary like that you'll you never get to see at these things because they are actually there on the ground trying to make sure that things are happening right on the Punisher right now so whether it's Devin Quinn or whether it's Grims Rake or Tom Weaver those guys are, are, are there or Emma Fleischer and Megan Thomas Bradner are making sure that Runaways is, is going okay right now or S.H.I.E.L.D. So it's it's that part of it, but the the bigger part is is that I think particularly now um, in a world where it's just really confusing in terms of who our heroes are, that the stories that Stanley and Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko and then later people like Roy Thomas and Steve Englehart and Drake Conway and hundreds of others and 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 there are people that would include me in with that group, and I always sort of look at it and go, yeah, I wrote some comics. I, I don't want to think that I contributed to the culture the way that they did. Um, but I, it, that was sort of the first odd thing, was to having bought comics for so long um, that to go to a comic book store and see my name on a comic was a surreal experience. So that to then see those comics... Uh, get turned into television shows and movies and, and have that experience now go worldwide uh, and particularly when we're the shows that are on Netflix which which immediately translate day and date all around the world in something like 190 countries 
that's the part which is which is really thrilling that we're we're telling stories that affect people's lives and that you know whether it's Mary's story or whether it's Misty's story or whether it's the story of in this particular case of, of Danny Rand and and his journey from from you know in season one we spent a lot of time sort of talking about you know Danny is Danny is billionaire Danny is trying to figure out where he is in the world and and this year to ground him and take on the responsibilities as a vigilante in Chinatown and who is trying to sort of make good on a promise that he made to Matt Murdock when Matt Murdock died. So in the Defenders, spoiler alert, sorry, you should have watched it. Uh, uh, you know, that's our place where we start. And so, but I care more about the relationship that, that Danny has with Colleen than I do with, you know, all the cool action that everybody saw at the panel yesterday was our way of saying, look, we're upping our game here and we hope that you guys agree and, and we're incredibly grateful to everybody at this table for all the kind words that people have been saying. Because um, I think people did walk in and sort of like, you know, I'm from Missouri, you know, I'm the show me state. At least I think Missouri is the show me state. Uh, it's not. I'm sorry to everyone in Missouri. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> so. Uh, it's just cool. Uh, I have a question for Alice, actually. Where are we in I think that it's fair to say it's an origin story. Yes. I think it. I think that that's what I certainly was um, investigating when we were doing it. Um, I think that we um, don't know at the beginning what we're doing. Um, I don't think she knows what she's doing, and I think that through um, various events and the idea that. You don't necessarily remember what your other personality did. Um, I think that that's a big part of how she integrates herself in the world that she does downtown. Um, but yeah, we do see some flashbacks. I mean, I think what's cool about it is is that we meet her at a certain point in her life, and then cards get tipped over as you go. There's a mystery about this woman. We don't really know who she is, what she wants. And then something happens, and then you go, "Oh, we didn't know that's what was happening." And and it's fun to talk about it here at Comic Con. But the truth is, when people experience it, they're not going to know that she's typhoid Mary. They're just going to be watching a show, and this woman's going to come in and behave a certain way, and then you know, and then another woman's going to come in and behave a different way, and they both happen to be played by this woman, and they're going to have to go, "Well, what's happening here? And how does that affect everybody in the story?" Uh, so the history of where it is and where they were beforehand, I think, is the fun of watching it happen along the way. How do, what do you say to your to the fans of Misty Knight that are having a tough time getting behind the change in canon for her story? When you mean the change in so, oh, you mean that people are like, why did she have to lose her arm? Is that uh, more about the Danny relationship? Oh, I mean, you know. Um, I think that these shows are evolving. We're watching relationships happen, and, and I think that, you know, for example, in the original comic books, Luke and Misty never get together. And so, or they get together, but it's not in, in the way that so many people expect it because they know that Luke and Jessica are together. And so there are people who watched episode one of season one who were pissed, who were like, what is this? This isn't supposed to be. And yet you have a whole group of other people who are like, I want them together forever. You know, I think people, 
people don't know what they like want until it, we give it to them. Rips down the middle. Right, exactly. Far and half. So I think that, you know, everything is always evolving within these shows. And I think that the fans just have to trust that Jeff and Raven and Cheo and all of the Marvel creators know what they're doing, that they're telling the long story and whatever happens, you're going to be happy with it one I way or the other, or that. you're going to be mad with it one way or the other. You and can't make everybody happy. Okay. And it's just okay. like in Mary, a duality exists yeah. within everything. So. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I, I like when they do that. <laughs> Jeff, Claire Templeton has been one of the first like unifying forces of the, the Netflix shows. Sure. Been in almost every one of them except basically Jessica Jones season two. Mm-hmm. Uh, is she going to? Because I know she did reach out to Luke for help in Luke Cage season two. Is she going to also be joining into the show and basically involving in the escapades with Misty Knight? In uh, in, in Iron Fist two, yeah. Claire will won't be in there. Aww. But but our relationship with. Uh, with Rosario is awesome, and uh, uh, we love her. She loves us, and and when the story lends itself into that place, then and and hopefully she's available, uh, we go down that road. I mean, I the, believe me, there isn't any showrunner who hasn't come in and said, "So where are we with Rosario?" <laughs> and 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 we go, "Well, let's tell the story and and figure it on out." Um, but I, you know what's been fun about it is, you know, I, I think I think Simone is now giving her a run for the money in terms of the number of shows <laughs> that she's been on and been yes. running around. So uh, uh, that's look. If again, it always comes down to story. If it warrants that someone else be in there, we don't want. You know, some people would be really satisfied if, you know, if. Danny Rand got on a bus and, and Foggy Nelson was getting off the bus and you, they went, that's cool. It is, an, and to a certain extent, it's sort of like, really, that's what you did? Um, so you can't, I, we always look at it from the point of view of what's the best story. We don't run an Easter egg farm. Uh, we, we do put little things in there for people to know, um, but we certainly don't want it to be something that people focus on. We don't want it to be distracting from the story. I can't. I can't confirm or deny where Turk where Turk is going to show up next. Yeah, Rob is a terrific actor, and and uh, he's certainly part of our company. So. can't do that and it's like hold my beer we're gonna do this <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the cloak and dagger and you got this and it's like y'all got really got a tough oh thing my so how do you yeah I mean that's really like how we see it and it's like so how do y'all keep yourself from that really like getting cocky about it and be like no I mean I look I, I mean I think people who at least know me you know I've been doing this a long time and I don't mean to sound like the old man on the mountain but I get to be the old man on the mountain and uh, you know I think what we talked about at the beginning, which is, I came from comics. I came. I mean, I was writing movies and I was writing television, but comics are something that that are important to me. They're important to me as a kid. They're important to me as an adult. And so, I, when I come here, you know, it, it to me, I look out. I've I've gone to now thirty comic cons. So in a row, 
So, so at the end of the day, like I came, I know. Sorry. A moment of silence. Uh, and I, so I was, I, I remember when it was in a basement, and and it was basically just like you were looking through comics on a table, and there wasn't, there weren't panels, there wasn't any of this stuff. Oh, really? And and I think you, you could meet artists and and get drawings, but and I think that's the place that everyone at Marvel comes from. I mean, really, when you look at. I mean, Joe Quesada's been in this business as long as I've been in this business. Like, he and I talk about comics all the time. And, you know, and, you know, to give a shout-out to my buddy Jeff Johns. Like, like we shared an office together. Like, I, whenever we start, it, it is always about... Raven is, is the biggest geek in the world. When he came in and started talking about Iron Fist, it, it was to talk about, I love this character, and I want to tell the best story I can. I will hire passion before anything else. And so at the end of the day, the storytellers that we bring in, the actors that we bring in, the cast, the crew, everybody has to come from a place of, super cool, we're getting to do this, let's go do this. So because so, the audience can smell it. They can smell it when it's not a group of people who really want to tell a good story. And so far, we've been doing okay. A cloak and dagger was mentioned, so... Um, O'Reilly mentions her friend Misty. Will she, we see Simone in there? I, let's just <laughs> let's just say it was not by mistake. Okay. <laughs> now, I feel like Misty hasn't really interacted with Danny too much, and, and while they may or may not be romantic, could you talk a little bit about how they interact? Absolutely. You know, um, in Luke Cage season two. Obviously, Misty gets her arm from Danny, and so there is a level of friendship that's intrinsic in just that. Uh, and in Iron Fist season two, we get to watch that develop. You know, I jokingly say that Misty is the third wheel at every one of uh, Colleen and Danny's date nights. Like she's just <laughs> always showing up while they're trying to drink tea. And so I think that you get to watch how these two interact with each other as well, and it's. It's in a new and interesting way, I think, than what fans are even expecting. Um, so you'll have to see on September 7th. Yeah. How does your relationship be, uh, evolve with Colleen as well? You know, we start out hating each other, fiercely. <laughs> uh, and then we just kind of mildly can't stand each other by the end of the season. So. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> it's <laughs> Spoilers. No. You know, these these are two women who don't have a lot of girlfriends. They don't have, you know, women that they call up to, you know, gossip about their their man problems. And they found one another in this time that they've gone through this very traumatic event together. Uh, and Colleen feels oddly responsible for Misty losing her arm, and Misty absolutely doesn't view her in that way. And so, in Luke season two. Colleen is coming in to help pick Misty up from where she's kind of sunk to. And in Iron Fist season two, Colleen is in this way where she's not really certain of who she is. And these two women don't deal with those situations just sitting around with wine and like crying. It's like, you know, they deal with it in a very odd way with humor and and things that most women on screen, you don't see them deal with these kind of uh, situations in that way. And so... I think that you get to enjoy a lot of levity and a lot of humor in Misty and Colleen's relationship in Iron Fist Season 2. And I think it's something that the, the fans are really going to enjoy. Thank you, very much. Thank you. Thank you so much.
Our final segment features the cast of the Freeform series, Marvel's Cloak and Dagger. This segment features Aubrey Joseph, who plays Cloak, and Olivia Holt, who plays Dagger. Enjoy. Hey guys. Hi. How are y'all? Good, how are you? Good. What's up guys? Thank you. I actually designed I it this morning. <laughs> I designed this. I feel myself. like I'm wearing pajamas and it's the best thing ever. <laughs> yep. So much fun. No, you guys are good. <laughs> We're happy to sit for a minute. Right. Yeah. How was the signing? The signing was so fun. Everyone was so kind and so gracious, and it was just cool to see everybody in person. You know, for like eight weeks now, we've been just talking to people over social media. So the fact that we actually get to like interact with them in person is pretty epic. Um, I think we definitely kind of had an idea just off the, definitely for myself, because the, the scene that I had was a very, like, emotional scene with actually a therapist before, uh, basically with the character who was supposed to be Father Delgado before he was Father Delgado, um, and it was just a very emotional scene, so I kind of expected, you know, that to, to appear in the season, but I'm so happy that we, we have a show like that, that's Marvel, and still is so dramatic and, and so real and so grounded and deals with, you know, what a lot of us go through. So. The producers have been saying that the, they love the show because it shows that kids can actually be heroes and you guys keep that core focus. Um, and you're so interactive with your fans, which is great. So do you keep that in mind like, with all your scenes? Like, this is kind of bigger than just superheroes. Like, you guys are really inspiring the younger audience. Yeah, you're right. I mean, sort of going off of what Aubrey just said, I think we didn't realize, or person, like personally, I didn't realize like how impactful this show was going to be. You know, I, I went into the audition knowing a little bit about Cloak and Dagger after reading the first comic, because I'm sure you guys know Marvel's not the best at like giving all the information out. We got to keep things a little secretive. So my, you know, the synopsis of the story and my character breakdown was very minimal. But um, the scenes that I had didn't focus a lot on what Tandy actually goes through through this first season. So each script that I got, I was like sort of blown away by like how much was actually going on and the issues that she was dealing with and struggling with from homelessness to drug addiction to sexual assault and things that Tyrone is going through from police brutality to depression to the things that he's dealing with with his family. I think all of these themes are so current and are just getting worse and I think it's so important for us to sort of break out onto television and start these conversations and start an open dialogue and make sure that you know people don't feel alone and um, that's ultimately our goal not just to entertain them but to move them and so we didn't realize how much we were going to impact these people and by the response that we're getting right now people are very impacted. So uh, both you guys have been very vocal about wanting to do a crossover with Runaways which I think would be amazing and so if, if that happened how do you think Ty and Tanky would react or interact with Nikki Kel and Carol being that whole guy or just sort of team up so you think what happened well, listen, Tyrone and Tandy are vigilantes in their self. So I think it's like so cool that there's another universe out there that they could cross over with. Because the Runaways are kids, we're kids, and I think it would be a really interesting crossover. Um, 
because right now they're the only two people in the world that they can trust, you know? So I think it would be interesting to find kids who are like them that are struggling with things in their own lives but are also developing these insane powers that they have no idea how to cope with but are are taking the challenge to cope with them. So I don't know. I think it'd be cool. I think it'd be interesting. I feel like there might be some weird beef and tension along the way, but I feel like that's what will make it more interesting. Definitely some tension because just like uh, Tandy was saying, they really only trust each other at this point, so I feel like we would have to warm up to the runaways. Yeah. You know what I mean? so. And what has the show and the characters you play personally taught you about life and family, just in your own life? I mean, I have an incredible relationship with my family. They've always been very supportive and loving, so sort of stepping into the shoes of Tandy, who doesn't necessarily have that privilege of coming from a home that loves her and supports her, is, I mean, it's a challenge in itself, you know? I think the things that Tandy goes through, the the mind of being cynical and manipulative and not really believing in herself, but deep down knows that she has hope but has to, you know, strive for it and has to really, like, go through the pushes and the shoves of life. And it's a roller coaster, but I think she accepts that challenge and she doesn't want to take no for an answer, which I think is the resilience in her and the boldness, which I love. Um... But I think it's, you know, it's it's taught me perspective and it's it's given me a chance to really have an open mind and an open heart and not judge people by the exterior, but really encounter what it's like on the interior. And, you know, Aubrey and I both feel very strongly about that in episode four. You see Tandy and Tyrone talk about privilege. When in television history ever have you seen a white female and a black male talk about that? So for us, it's very important. Yeah. And I, I definitely perspective it, it definitely opened my mind to a lot of things but also it just it really showed me to just give everyone that that respect and I, that's what I that's what I was taught but just because like all of us go through so much and you you would never know you know what I mean like all you see is someone's exterior so you know the fact that we are all walking around with this baggage baggage uh, it's just a way for us to connect because none of us are perfect, and I feel like we live in a society where everyone strives to be perfect. So I just love that we have a show where the superheroes aren't, you know, all the way intact and aren't perfect. There's, you know, their imperfections make them really relatable. So. Thank you very much. Thank you guys. No, I really appreciate you guys. Thank you. This is my caffeine for the day. This episode of the Black Girl Nerds podcast was brought to you by HelloFresh. The Black Girl Nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Broadnax. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find various episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Audioboom, Google Play Music, and Spotify. Spotify.